Welcome to the Greenlight Podcast, an audio breakdown of the regulatory barriers to social equity in the cannabis industry by Marijuana Matters. Marijuana Matters identifies and eliminates barriers to economic opportunity in regulated cannabis markets for those disadvantaged by marijuana's criminalization. Our vision is simple. Repair what's been dismantled, restore what's been destroyed, and reclaim what's been displaced. My name is Deanna Benjamin, and I'm your host. Today's guest is someone who truly embodies the spirit of entrepreneurship, someone who entered the unregulated cannabis space at 16 years old, got arrested eight years later, and then made a concerted effort to get into the regulated space despite the barriers he faced, including a cannabis record. I had the privilege of interviewing Alfonso Tucky Blunt, the owner of Oakland Dispensary Blunts and More, the first ever equity-owned dispensary. Tucky will go down in history as the first person in the world to receive a social equity license for a legal cannabis business. As you'll see in a second, Tucky's journey hasn't been simple or easy but you won't hear anything from him but a fierce determination to take all that life has to offer him. Whether you want to transition out of the unregulated space into the legal one, or you want to enter the cannabis industry as a total newbie, please listen to what this man has to say. You will learn so much. Let's get into it. All right, today my guest is Alfonso Tucky Blunt. He is the owner of Blunts and More in Oakland. And um, most fascinatingly and inspirationally, he is the first recipient of a social equity license really in the world. <laughs> um, so it's really our honor to have you on the show, Tucky. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, before we get into the specifics of your cannabis business, I would love to know um, about your mind. You are clearly an entrepreneur. So why? What was instilled in you? What are the experiences that you had that led you on this path of entrepreneurship versus working for someone else? So my parents, I'm honestly and truthfully, um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom with three kids by the time she was uh, 18, 19. My dad worked, he worked at a bank. He worked at uh, McDonald's because he was 19. Right. Um, he detailed cars, um, and he also sold weed. So me growing up, I got to watch all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and it made me, you know, kind of feel like, um, best way I can say this, my dad always told me we as black people are always going to have to have a job and a hustle. Mm. And he didn't mean hustle like selling weed. He said the hustle could be anything. But seeing him do how he did and how he moved and how he was able to make money let me know that for me personally, I didn't want to work for anybody. Mm. The only time I would get a job and work for someone is for health benefits and for learning the craft. But overall, I never wanted to work for anybody. And that came from my mindset of just watching my parents and how they moved. And um, it, 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 it was better for me. Like working for somebody is cool. But give 40 hours of your life to a, another person and all you're really doing is don't get me wrong it's okay to enhance your skills but for me that's all I was doing was mm -hmm. adding to my resume and it was nothing I really wanted to do mm -hmm. but I also made money at work so I would sell more weed I would detail cars for my co-workers like it, it became where my job I made it into 
my entrepreneurial thing mm-hmm. into my own business. So it just it just came from being around my parents. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's really cool that you got those lessons from them. And and what your dad said is really interesting. What do you think he meant? Why did he, why do you think he specifically said if you're black, you need to have a job and a hustle? Because we're already two things down by being black in this country. Even though we're kings and queens, we're not treated as such. And we don't act as such in a lot of ways. Mm. So for us, we're already coming into the game with the negative in, in, to some people as being black. Mm. Um, and then we have to get these jobs, fight for them and keep them. But then we're not making much money because mm. we're black or we're underqualified because we don't have the degrees and this, mm. that, and the other. And you're going to need backup, especially in California. I mean, it's ridiculous out here. And it was ridiculous back then. But he just always instilled in us that one job ain't enough. You know what I mean? If you can have five and handle them, do it. Because, you, you know, that kid, he had three kids by the time he was 19. Right. So it was like, you know, this is how I got to move to take care of y'all. And I have five. So mm-hmm. I moved the same way to take care of mine. So. You have five kids? Yeah. That's goals. <laughs> I like, I've got three kids right now. So <laughs> I like big families. Um, Yeah, that's, that's. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. And it's interesting because you talk about how your father had his hustle was selling weed, which obviously at that time was illegal. Now that makes me think about what people say. A lot of people, when they think about um, cannabis operators in the black market, they're like, oh, they're lazy. They, you know, they're criminals. They're, they're not willing to, to work as hard as these corporations so my question to you, because you've you've a lot of experience. I mean, you've seen, you saw your father have a wee business. You were in the unregulated space. Now you're in the regulated space. Is it that simple? So it's not. Right. And for me, my dad would didn't just sell weed. He detailed cars. He worked at banks. He worked at um, Lucky's, the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Same kind of path I went on. I worked at Lucky's. I detailed cars for thirty years. Um, I've been in the uh, unregulated market since I was 16, but the difference for me and why I don't agree with that sentiment is because of how I approached it. I've always approached mm-hmm. cannabis selling as a business. Right. I always knew from watching my dad that if you are going to sell something that is illegal, even though we don't believe it should be, right. you can't be on a corner mm-hmm. selling it because you're going to advertise you want to go to jail. Mm-hmm. So I made my money selling my product at work. I don't think nobody lazy or nobody who doesn't know what they're doing or blah, blah, blah could do all that. Mm. What these companies, these big companies have to realize is they're the ones that don't know anything and that are lazy. Mm -hmm. They're trying to pick up on black people like us to come on their team and say, hey, we mess with black people. Sign us up. Mm. That's lazy. But they'll try to turn it on you and flip flip around on us. But no, I don't believe none of us are lazy. I'm a 4.0 student, graduated Mm -hmm. high school, number 10 in all of Oakland. All of of Oakland's public schools, I was number 10 for grades. I graduated my junior high salutatorian. I typed 90 words a minute. I can teach you, I can teach you Microsoft Word and Excel right now. Like, I'm not no just, you know what I mean? So to put that out there about us, it's false. It's just continuing a rhetoric that comes from the reefer madness days and everything else. So, you know, it's just getting more stories like this out there to show that not only can we do this, we can do this and be black. This mm-hmm. is the type of things we got to talk about. So yeah. I don't agree with that at all. I mean, because I'm, I'm living proof. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I am not none of those things you described. Really? And I'm a business. Right. Black on. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, just logically, if your business is successful, it's because you work hard. 
<laughs> successful businesses are not, they didn't get there because the people operating them are lazy and ignorant. <laughs> correct. Yeah. Correct. And it's crazy, like, just even just with now, with current times, what's going on now, and all these big companies trying to come in and buy out the little guys that are mm-hmm. in cannabis, their whole mode of how they're doing it is literally trying to find a black person to latch on to. One of these lazy people that have mm-hmm. no worth ethic, you want to latch on to one of us to help build your brand and your company? F out of here. Like, no, no. Like, oh, but we're not lazy now when it's convenient to hire us to make your brand look better on the overall, i.e. Jay-Z. You know what I'm saying? And what he's doing with a brand I don't want to mention. They're (laughs) literally just going to hire black people just to say, hey, mess with black people. You can't. That's lazy. That's Mm -hmm. lazy. But we're not, you know, people don't want to talk about that, so. Mm, that's that's powerful insight and and it's a it's a valuable question to ask um because that's you know the tradition yes <laughs> it is <laughs> um so the actual fact these people are doing that on purpose go yeah. ahead yeah no you're right if you want to say more on that by all means no, it was just I was just saying just in general like it's really a fact like if you go down in the, the list of these companies the Have a Hearts, the High Times, the Kalibas, they're really going to put on public that they're paying all this money to bring in black people. Mm-hmm. And they don't really want to fuck with black people. Excuse my language, but they don't. They're only doing it to save face and say, hey, we're really doing this. Nah, mm-hmm. don't just put me on display for IG post. Bring me into the boardroom mm. and bring in some of the people who are really in the cannabis space. Jay-Z is not in the cannabis space. No disrespect to him, but he's not in the cannabis space. Mm. You bringing him in doesn't do anything for social equity. Mm. But if you say it does and you can make it seem like it does and you can put out a um, you know a deck to show these other companies that you're getting all these invested money from, they'll buy in because they see Jay-Z. Mm. No, they need to see a Jay-Me or mm. Al Harrington or a Gas House. You know what I'm saying? See some of these black brands. You know what I'm saying? Like, they constantly try to put a token black person on these boards, it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, it just, you got to call it what it is. It's lazy. It's lazy. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll leave it at that because we can talk about that for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I think what you're, what you're saying is, is highlighting how nuanced this whole fight for social equity is because it's really easy to look like you're doing the right thing Especially because we're talking about racial equity. So yeah, if yeah. you work with a black person, you must be doing things correctly. But but yes. really, who has decision making power? And that's what Correct. I hear you talking about. Who has ownership? Correct. Right. Correct. Right. Correct. My thing is, and I'm sorry to keep using Jay Z as a reference, but that's just the most recent reference. He's the head of the social equity thing for a brand. Right. Who's training him on what social equity means right. for us in the cannabis space? Social equity is different in every space. Right. So who's training him on that? Where's that person? Oh, they don't have that person. They just hired someone else who's his supervisor. Well, are mm-hmm. they in the cannabis space? No. Well, how? Come on, man. Mm-hmm. Come, come on. Come on. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So my next question for you Um. I'm asking this really thinking about people who are currently in the unregulated space and who look at this and they see what you see. They're highly skeptical. I mean, entering the regulated industry is expensive on a lot of levels Mm -hmm. because there's the whole licensure, sure, but then there's also, you know, the legal counsel and paying taxes and all of that. So you made that shift. Why? Why did you make the decision to leave the unregulated space 
where you were having success um, and where you saw it and then to enter the regulated space? For me, it's because that's all I've wanted. From age 16 to 19, it was just all about selling weed and not getting caught. But once I went to my first dispensary at age 19 and realized you could sell weed out of a store, changed my whole mindset. Mm. so for me again i've always approached this as a business so my goal was never to be the biggest dope dealer in oakland i want to be the biggest lead well i mean excuse me legal weed salesman in oakland you know what i mean so Mm. that's why i made the change for me but granted everybody's not going to have that same mindset as me everybody's not going to have that same drive as me so a lot of people are like oh no you know f it i'll just stay Mm -hmm. on the other side but why being that they open this door for us to get in we have to kick it open. Yeah. We need more of us in here. Like the goal, I would think, is to not have to sell nothing illegally and hide and run from the police. But you need more of me talking about that, more of us that's actually been in the trenches to talk to more people yeah. so they can see, oh, man, even if you can't have a store or grow weed, there's other stuff you can do in the space. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many other things to do besides growing and selling weed. And the more we get that message out, I think the more other people will want to leave the traditional market. Because mm-hmm. um, if I don't like most of the people I know that got into the game, it was a hustle. Mm-hmm. So if now this hustle can pay you legally, you can get medical and dental, you mm-hmm. can get stock options, you can do all this type of stuff on that side. Come on, let's do it. But if you've been entrenched in that mindset to where this is all you know and you're not willing to change, you're going to need more people like me to talk about it. You know what I'm saying? So you can see that I look like you're like, I'm on here to do rag. Y'all can't see me, but I'm on here to do rag. <laughs> I look like y'all. I talk like y'all. I had gold teeth. I done had locks. I done had <laughs> 26, 28, you know, no, no, my biggest rims are 24, 24 inch rims. You know, I done been there, done that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like real track. And I'm legally doing it now. And I think that should be the goal for everybody because at the end of the day, we're going to jail and being locked up mm-hmm. for something that's legal now. Why mm-hmm. would you want to get in the space and do it legally? Like, I, I just, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I do get it. Everybody's worried about the money. Social equity has, you know, they have programs that give you money, this, that, and the other. Great. But overall, I get that. The money is going to come from us, though. Mm-hmm. All of us black people who have money, all these millionaires I know, we got to pool our money together. So the whole stigma of, well, we don't have enough money to get in the space. Oh, we got that for you, dog. Here go your investment capital, startup capital. Here you go. We get a kickback, you know what I'm saying, on our return every three months, and we kick back. Mm-hmm. But we are conditioned to think we are all enemies, so we don't work with each other. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And the sooner we can change that mindset on the overall, money won't be a problem in the cannabis space for us. It's too many Negroes that I know with millions and millions of dollars that have nothing to do with it. And they're just like, well, how do I invest? Mm-hmm. But they don't want to invest with us. We have to change that. Like, it's, 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 we have to deprogram ourselves. We're not enemies. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're all supposed to work together like all the other races do. But for some reason, well, I know the reason we can program that way, but we don't. The sooner we can change that, the money won't be an issue. You know what I'm saying? The, the technology won't be an issue. The learning won't be an issue because we'll all be teaching one another. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. until we start doing that, it's, it's going to stay a white man's game. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to allow that. Not on my watch. Mm. Preach. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I know you. what you just said I think really bears repeating, and I would love to hear – you know, more of why you say it, but you said we are not all enemies. We have to deprogram this thought. So when you say, what is mm-hmm. it that, what is it that you see that leads you to say that? I mean, I'm a black man in America and most black men you see, if you walk in the room, you mugging another black man because you wonder why he's looking at you. Mm-hmm. Why he can't look at you, can't? 
You know what I'm saying? What's wrong mm-hmm. with him acknowledging another king and saying, hey, king, you know, how you doing? But we're programmed to where everyone's an enemy. If this person not from your turf, they ain't your friend. It's mm-hmm. like, dude, man, get out of that. You won't step out of your circle if you continue to think like that. It's a programming thing. We've been messed against each other since slavery. House nigga, field nigga. Like, right. this is not just, no, I'm not just talking just to be, this is real life. Like, yeah. we are programmed to not like each other. Light skin versus dark skin. Right. Like, all the all of the shit. And the sooner that we can get out of that mindset and realize we are our best asset to each other, mm. we'll be good. Mm. We'll be good. Mm. That That's just beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's the truth, though. Like, <laughs> it you know is. What I'm, I'm not, you know, talking like, it's really the truth. Like, yeah. it seems like, oh, this is just, you know, should be that easy. I feel it should be that easy, but it's not. You got to think, we in the, like I seen on uh, one of my kids' thing, we're in the late 1900s now, the early 2000s. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, wow nothing's changed this has mm. been going on forever but we need more like minds to say f that it's time to change like we can't keep saying oh we got the black president we got the black vice president and we all supposed to be black power black power but you come to the community you don't see that mm. you see like one percent being community and then the rest of us like i don't fuck with black people and it can't it's just it's stupid mm. it's programming it's programming yeah mm. so before you received your social equity license, and in fact, part of why you were probably eligible is because you yep. were arrested for yep. um, your activity in the unregulated space. Can you talk to me about what happened, um, what that was like mm-hmm. for you, and how that experience has impacted your entrepreneurship? So for me, when I got caught, it was six years after, no, so 2006, so eight years after I had already been selling weed. Never had no police interactions mm-hmm. because I was never on a turf. I always, it was a business. I pull up to your house, you buy from me at work. I was never just on a corner selling people weed because for me, that's the wrong kind of advertising. Mm-hmm. So when I did get caught, I got caught because one of the people I was buying weed from snitched on me. Mm-hmm. Um, police pulled up, um, cop arrested me or whatever. I went downtown. Um, mind you, when I got arrested, I got arrested on a Thursday. That following Monday, I started working for Alameda County. The guy snitched on me because he thought I was going to lose my job. Hmm. So, you know, I bailed out the same night and just said, okay, no more turf for me because the reason I got caught, like I, I was on the turf. I had went and started grinding on my turf hmm. in between jobs. My son was going to come and I was like, you know what? I'm in between jobs. Let me make some extra money. I'm going to go to the turf for about a year. And that's what I did because the county take you from the time you apply to the time you get hired. It can take anywhere from a year to a year and a half with Alameda County. So I'm like, you know, I'm not going to get another job. I'm just going to go do my other job. And it was great. Oh, man. Once I got to the turf, I'm like, this is what I've been missing on the turf. This is excellent. <laughs> but I knew that wasn't really me. Like, I'm really on the turf in square toes, fedoras silk like shirts and shit like i'm really just out there looking like a pimp but selling weed <laughs> so everything was cool i got snitched on bailed out mm-hmm. kept on trucking down the road doing what i needed to do graduated from Amsterdam. um you know worked at cannabis club like i did all that it didn't affect me personally because of the drive i had when i bailed out i said okay i got 10 years of felony probation and a four-way search clause for my first offense I said, oh, shit, I went 16, you know, however, what, eight years without getting in trouble? I could do another 10. That's how I looked at it. Wow. I, I felt like I can I can go without getting in trouble. I just want to put myself back in them same positions. And that's what I did. But it let me see, like, okay, you know, all right, you don't went to jail now. How does that work for you? Mm. I could have let it stop me. Like I said, I started working for Alameda County. At that time, I had to fight my case while working for the county. Wow. Um, it made me have to leave the position I was at because I was trying to be a probation officer. So I had to. I couldn't work at probation and be on probation. Right. So it did affect me that way. 
but it was a blessing in disguise. The two, three departments I worked in at Alameda County, I made easily, easily 50000 a year mm-hmm. just in county sales. Mm-hmm. So it worked out, you know what I'm saying, for me. But I just think that all goes back to me and my hustle, my drive, my prayer, my conviction. Like, I'm not just, you know, just... I need people to understand that I'm just like them mm-hmm. and I move just like them. And I'm a success. And you can do that too. Like mm-hmm. you can't let nothing stop you. That's what, that's why these laws are put in place to F us up. Like there's no reason I should have got 10 years of felony probation right. and a four way search clause for $80 worth of weed. Mm-hmm. Now had he came, had the police came about, you know, maybe two hours earlier. Yeah. I would have some reason to really go down, <laughs> but it, the, the way the creator set up, it was all in place. And then this is even, it's a fun fact just to add to y'all. So the same cop who arrested me in 2004, I ended up running into day one when I was at Alameda County. I walked down my stairs for lunch. He walked up the stairs. I said, I told you I work for the county. He was like, oh, shit. Pause. So we fast forward. George Floyd gets murdered. Hmm. My store gets broken into May 31st and June 1st. Total of 10 hours. They ransacked my store. Next day, all the dispensary owners in Oakland are on a phone call with the city of Oakland and the Oakland Police Department. The captain of the OPD is the same cop who arrested me in 2004. Mm-hmm. So now we're all on a phone call together. Wow. So then fast forward again. I've been trying to get my gun license back since I went to jail because, like, I had a registered firearm. Nothing was like I really was trying to be a probation officer. So mm-hmm. I go through all the steps, try to get all my shit, all my restitution been paid. I've been cleared since 2013, but I can't get a gun. Mm-hmm. So I get the same cop, Randy Wingate, like, hey, man, I need your help. By now, we're friends. You mind you? So I'm like, man, I need your help. Wow. I'm trying to get off my record. You know, what do I do? That man made a call to the DA. My whole record is clear from the same cop who arrested me in 2004. Wow. Now, that cop and the other arresting officer are both in, well, Randy's still with the OPD. But the other arresting officer who arrested me, Ursi Joyner, is a head of security for a cannabis security now. So these, you know, they, they've pivoted into weed after arresting people for weed, mm. but they were doing their job. Yeah, That was their job to pull up and come arrest me. But who would have thought him arresting me in 04 would lead to him getting all my stuff clear in 2020? Like, man, I, I need y'all to really understand we mm. can do this. And there are stories like this out there. I just happen to be one that's willing to talk about it. You mm. know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not stopping. Like, there's no way. Wow. That... What I hear from your story is just this relentless optimism. Just, okay, this this barrier has been put before me. How can I make it work for me? <laughs> That's what you said. You said, I okay, so I've been arrested. How can I, I have a record now? How can I make this work for me? And, yep. and to see where that led you, that full circle, is really, it's a counter narrative to just like the the pure anger. Not that anger is illegitimate, you know? There's a reason right. to be angry in this country if you're yep. black. Yep, <laughs> um, yes, 100%. Yeah, but, but it's like, yes, you can have that, but how can you make it work for you? And right. I love I love what you're saying. I think it's so um, inspirational. No, no matter what industry you're in, um, if you are a black person, there are going to be barriers you face regardless. It goes back to what my daddy said about us being mm. black. You have to work that extra time, that two times, three times harder. And if you're a black woman, it's four times harder. Right. Like, come on, man. Like, this this is this is like, I, if I can pull through agency, you know, yeah, okay, mm. no, I didn't do no 40, 50 years in prison. Why? My thing was, why do I need to do that to be more mm. hardcore? Like, I got my charges. 
I bailed out because bail was an option. Mm -hmm. And I continued on trucking down the road. I didn't let it stop me. I didn't like my son still came. I still worked. You know what I'm saying? I fought my case. My wife was by my side. Like I went Mm -hmm. through all of that. Still had to go through the ups, downs. Couldn't get the jobs I wanted to because I had that on my record. Mm -hmm. But I knew once I paid off my restitution and did what I had to do, I can get the jobs I wanted. And I just had to just, you, at the end of the day, I knew I was doing something illegal. I got mm-hmm. caught. There are consequences. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, I can't be mad at, you know, the consequences that come with what I was doing. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I, I knew I was taking that risk. And a lot of us, you know, are kind of like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? We make excuses about shit. Oh, whatever. Mm-hmm. I was doing something criminal. I got caught. Mm-hmm. It, it, you have to do what you have to do. You know what I'm saying? That's not on the white man or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes, OPD was targeting us. And wanting to give us bad sentences and bad records. Yes, 100%. But why let that stop you? Like, I, mm-hmm. I just, I just, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to that. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing you're going to do going to stop me. You know what I mean? So I got to keep pushing. Mm, that's powerful. And on that note, this, this will be my last question for you, no Tucky. What advice do you have for the young, on or the, old, however old, the aspiring entrepreneur who's motivated, who has that energy, but they don't have the resources, they don't have the capital, they don't have a network, they don't necessarily have that, you know, the information. Um, What would you tell them their first step should be if they want to enter the cannabis industry legally? Honestly, figure out what they want to do when they get in this space. Mm -hmm. Um, And don't let it be growing and selling. Everybody that's listening, growing and selling are the two hardest things to do in the cannabis space, Mm -hmm. period. Figure out what you want to do. I get that question all the time from Clubhouse to my inbox. Say, hey, how can I get in the cannabis space? I and, and I try to be as not rude as possible, but I can't answer that. That question is so vague because mm. there's so many ways to get in the cannabis space. So I flip it on them. What do you want to do in the space? Mm. And then they're stuck. Well, as soon as you can figure that out, then I can help you. Mm. But until you figure out what you want to do, that is the best advice I can give anyone, whether you have capital or not. Figure out what lane you want to be in and do the research on that lane. Because you may realize you're not capable of doing what mm. you thought you can do in the cannabis space, but uh, I can do this. Mm. So then do your research on that and make that your goal. But everybody that I'm running into wants to just grow and sell, and you can't do that. Mm. You can't. Like, everyone can't do that. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I've been blessed enough to know how to do both. You know what I'm saying? Just That's just me. There's not a lot of me's. Mm. But there's so anything you can think of in a business, cannabis needs. Yeah. They need people to interview. Yeah. They need people to do artwork. They knew people to do like, it's like design the lights that go into the grow rooms. It's so much you can do. Like I said, just to go back to the question, my advice is to do your research on what it is you want to do mm-hmm. before you come to the people like me and say, hey, I want to get in the space. <laughs> I'm going to say, what do you want to do in the space? Right. So it's just, just doing your research and, you know, quit being lazy. I mean, quit falling, quit falling into what they think we are anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They think we're lazy anyway. If you come to me saying, hey, I want to get in the space and I haven't done no research. I'm going to think you're lazy yeah. or you're black, white, pink. That's lazy. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, 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 just doing your research and just knowing what you want to do before you get in this space and come have these conversations. It'll make it a whole lot easier conversation. Mm. That is so helpful. That's really good. Tucky, thank you so much for your time. Um, oh, thank you. This was really useful for me. <laughs> I know it's going to be useful for our <laughs> listeners. If people want to follow you, where can they find you? Yes, I'm at Tucky Blunt 80 on Instagram, T-U-C-K-Y-B-L-U-N-T-A-0 um, on Twitter. Well, excuse me. I'm also that on Clubhouse. Same thing at Tucky Blunt 80. 
Um, the store itself is Blunts and More, two O's, and A and D is spelled out, Blunts and More. That's all over all the social medias. And I'm on Twitter at Blunt Tucky. And you're based out of D.C., right? Yes. Marijuana Matters you, based out of D.C. Have you talked to Hope Wiseman? Yes, we have. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. That's the homie. Just wanted to make sure. <laughs> That's it for today's episode of the Greenlight Podcast. And wow, I'm still just so moved by Tucky's drive and story. It's Black History Month. And what Tucky shared is such a powerful reminder that we are still making history every day, even and maybe especially when progress seems impossible. If you support what we're doing, subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. That'll help others find us and learn more about social equity in the cannabis industry. You can find out more about Marijuana Matters by checking out our website, marijuanamatters.org, and you can follow us on Instagram at marijuanamattersdc. Thanks for joining us. Talk soon. And happy Black History Month.